Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. Now, whether you recognize it or not, you are in a position to have a positive influence on somebody else's life around you, to leverage your skills, your knowledge, your experience to help them grow and guide them through identifying what success looks like for them and leveraging your experience to help them make decisions and guide them along this path to achieving the things they want to. And we call this mentorship. And mentorship isn't always a skill that's inherent in us. And today we had Scott Jeffrey Miller back on the podcast and we talked about what are some of the tools and the roles and the skills that you need to be an effective mentor. Because like I said, whether you recognize it or not, you are likely in a position to take advantage of your life's experience to help someone else grow. And Scott has a world of experience in leadership and he's been focused primarily on mentorship. And he shares with us today how you can be a great mentor. How can you identify intentionally the different roles that you need to play as a mentor? Why it's important to establish a goal with the person you're mentoring? The upsides and downsides of each one of these roles and the skills that you generally need to be successful. If you like what you hear on this podcast and you want to learn more about how you can bring the one thing tools and principles to your life, to your business, check out theonething.com. Our one thing is coaching. We believe that we can help you succeed with our tools and our frameworks. So if you're interested in learning more about our coaching programs, check out theonething.com slash coaching to learn more. So let's go talk to Scott Jeffrey Miller and learn how we can be great mentors. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. We're here. We're lucky to have again with us, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott. Jeffrey Miller, this is his third time, everybody, on the podcast. No big deal. Scott, for you guys that, if you haven't caught him before, he's a highly sought-after speaker, author, podcast host. He's got a bestseller, Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's Franklin Covey, 25 years of experience, at least, serving as CMO, executive vice president. He hosts uh, the largest weekly leadership podcast in the world, which is on leadership. And Scott has his new book coming out on July 11th, which is The Ultimate Guide to Great mentorship. Scott, thanks again for being back on the podcast with us. Lucky to have you, man. Chris, it's my fortune. The third time. Now, if I hadn't seen the list of your quality guests preceding me, I would have thought you were hard up for guests having me back. But I've seen your guests and your (laughs) podcast rocks. It's in my feed. I listen to it frequently. What an honor to be back on. Thank you for the spotlight. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for being here. And uh, first time you were with Jeff Woods and last time you were with Sarah and I, and now you're just stuck with me. So let's uh, let's see if we can knock it out of the park. (laughs) And and then there was one. (laughs) And and then there was one. You got it. So what have you been up to, man, besides uh, the new book and everything I mentioned in your bio? What else can you share about what you've been focused on? Well, for those uh, listeners and viewers that maybe not suffered through the entire first two episodes with me, you know, I've been doing a lot. I'm very fortunate to have retired after a 25-year career with the Franklin Covey Company as the CMO, as you mentioned, and the EVP of Thought Leadership after Covey raised me from a young pup. Originally, I worked at the Walt Disney Company. I still actually am, 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 an, am an ambassador for Franklin Covey. I host their podcast, too, for them, actually, two podcasts. And I still um, speak on the numerous books that I've written for them. This is my sixth book. I have uh, three more releasing in the next two years that are in various stage of either editing, copy editing, design, or releasing. So this is a book I'm super proud of, The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, because mentorship is something that is unique but common 
to both anyone I know, everybody I know that's been successful in life as a mentor and as a mentee. So I'm passionate about that. I, I co-own a, a um, fast-growing literary speaking and talent agent. So my day job is I'm a talent agent. I represent about 200 of some of the most influential thought leaders, researchers, Pulitzer Prize-winning authors, keynote speakers, Olympians, you name it, um, as their speaking literary and uh, talent agent. And as you know, in my, in my, my side hustle, which is really my full-time hustle, I'm a dad with my wife, Stephanie, and three young boys. Today is the last day of school for many of them. Wish us well. Wish my, wish my marriage well over the summer because these boys that have my energy and my personality ah, are out of school today for three months. We're decamping to France. <laughs> We're, so the Griswolds are going to France in about four days. So uh, heads up to all the French files. Here we come. <laughs> what what part of France are you going to? We're going to Saint-Tropez. So we're flying into Nice mm. and we're going to spend some time down on the French Riviera, um, uh, Côte d'Azur, Saint-Tropez, Cannes, Monaco, that kind of stuff. We'll come back That's broke, it. but man, we will have every bobblehead doll they sold along the coast. Trust me. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's the the southeast along the Mediterranean, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm actually I'm going into France in September just for a few days uh, for my honeymoon. Ooh, wow! Whoa, you're getting yeah, married. I just got married. I just got you married. Just got married. Congratulations! This is why you're Thank so you happy. This is yeah. why you're so happy. There's no kids yet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, the opportunity is on the horizon. You know. <laughs> Good for you, man. Good for you. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Well, thanks again for being here. I, I, what? I know your new book obviously is focused on mentorship and I think mostly from the lens of the mentor right. and but just for the audience, like, why are you so passionate about mentorship? What's drawn you to this to have you know, multiple books and so much focus around that topic? Well, as I look at what, is, what are the ingredients that have contributed to any success I've had personally or professionally, mm. I mean, numbers one, two, and three are the people who invested in me, who believed in me more than perhaps I believed in myself at that juncture in life, people that had high courage conversations with me that weren't my leader necessarily. Rarely were they my leader. Sometimes they were, but they were just people that were often older, but not always, wiser, more skilled, more disciplined, more patient, more successful, maybe even had more failures than I did and poured into me. And so, you know, from uh, a remarkably successful career that I have led and executed on, I'm very comfortable saying that, there's no question I wouldn't have gotten anywhere near I am in terms of the influence or success or the opportunities without a bevy of mentors, some formal, some informal, some were younger than me, some were older than me. I can name them all by name. I can tell you what they taught me, what I learned from them, how long it took me to move from resisting what they were telling me to accepting what they were telling me. And so HarperCollins came to me and said, you know, we think there's a big need for a practical book on mentorship. There are several written by phenomenal authors like John Maxwell and others that are great books, but they're quite frankly, fairly aspirational. And I wanted to write a very practical book on how to be a better mentor because 95% of the Fortune 500 companies have formal mentorship programs. Most of us have been on the receiving end of some level of mentorship. And I don't think all leaders naturally make great mentors. Those skills don't always transfer. So this book is themed, Chris, around 13 roles that every mentor should consider playing. Minimize some, exaggerate some, 
stay away from some, play some simultaneous. And so that's what the book is built around, these specific roles I think mentors need to master. Yeah, I want to jump in there uh, and talk about those roles. Before we do, I, I think it's important for someone who hasn't maybe had a lot of experience around mentorship to, I guess, give some clarity on like what it actually means when we're talking about mentorship, because there could be a little bit of a misunderstanding on the surface. And you mentioned formal yeah. and informal. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's, it's, it's almost like we need to demystify mentorship a little bit because there's, there's ways to be, I think, an effective mentor without it having to be a formal um, or an assigned task or role. Well, I think there's lots of points of view. I'll share mine with you. And, and your listeners may or may not resonate with all of these. First of all, I don't think as a mentor, that means you are someone's coach. There's a different tip, tip difference between coaching and mentoring. Usually, it has to do with certification, training, a methodology. Coaches are usually in it for a business. Great for them. Mentors are almost always doing this philanthropically. Great for them. Second, I don't think that your mentor is your ally, your champion, or your supporter. Don't put that burden on them. They're your mentor. They're not your Rolodex. They're not your attorney. They're not your therapist. They're not your private equity funder. They're your mentor. Now, it may be that you earn their trust such that they become your ally. They become your advocate. They become your champion. They become your reference, but not typically in the beginning or often ever. I also think you can have someone become your mentor without them agreeing to it. I have lots of mentors in life that don't even know I'm alive. I read all their books. I follow all their podcasts. I go to all their conferences and I've made them my mentor. They don't even know I'm alive. And there's others that might say, hey, I heard Scott Miller said you were his mentor. They would say, I'm flattered. That's nice. He thinks of me that way. And so I think it's important to redefine how we view mentorship and a crucial aspect of mentorship is the formal role where you work for a major company and they match you with a mentor, often more senior than you, and you meet for X number of prescribed weeks or months or whatever it is in a beginning and an end and suck the lifeblood out of that formal mentorship. I don't think it's all one or all another. I think it's just asking yourself, what kind of mentorship serves you well? And is there someone in your life that's willing to play that role consciously or even unconsciously? Yeah, I, I love I love what you said about some leaders are mentors, but it's not like an inherent skill that yeah. you possess. And there's there's something to be conscious of. And I love the way that you structured your book because it it really is almost a it's not a training book, but it has got training elements to it where you can really yeah. look at it and say, here's skills that I want to develop and some really great ways to break down. Uh, the different roles and inside of the roles, like what's the goal? What are the upsides and downsides? What are the skills that you need to to have to be successful inside that different those different roles as a mentor? And I, I love that approach. Chris, thank you for recognizing that. Uh, on the website that supports the book, greatmentorship.com, I offer a mentor journal and card deck. I offer a self-paced certification program to become a little more adept at how to be a mentor. But I think fundamentally, I've dedicated my three and a half decade career to the leadership industry, right? Was the CMO of the world's most influential leadership development firm. I know a little bit about leadership. Doesn't mean I'm a good leadership. It means I know about leadership. There's a difference. But what I also think is true is not all great leaders make great mentorships. There's lots of skills that leaders have that don't transfer well over into mentorship. And I can discuss some of those, but I think it's important for leaders who often are tapped to be mentors 
to recognize that sometimes your strengths when overplayed can become your weaknesses, your ability to ask piercing questions or assimilate information fast or to, you know, propose a vision and execute on it with extreme speed. These actually can be quite de minimis to a mentor. Most mentors will require an unnatural level of patience and humility and listening and empathy. Things we hear about leadership, but in, you know, fast growing in public quarterly driven companies, those are tough leadership skills to remind yourself of. You've got to bring results to the organization. And that sometimes requires you to, you know, be sometimes more of a manager than a leader. You get the point. The book really is to ensure that people who are leaders have a framework, a guidance to say, say this, don't say that. Think this way. Maybe don't think that way. Don't overplay that hand too soon. Maybe that role should come later in when more trust is developed. So I hope the book is well received as a practical guide on literally how to be a better mentor. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's great. And, and you might think that you've seen mentorship or you have some in, like inherent skill. And I, I'm going to go off memory here, but I think there's a quote in the book that you called out from, from Covey that was to know and not to do, in fact, not to know. And I think that's really interesting because you could, you could know or think you know how to be a good mentor, but if you don't have the practical skills to apply in the mentorship conversations and in the process, then you may not be mentoring at all. And this is why I wrote this book so practically. The quote from Dr. Covey, um, to know but not to do is not to know. And so one of the things I found from early reviews of the book is readers are appreciating a lot of the practical phrases. You know, here's seven things you could consider saying when your mentee is in, you know, is going cocoa puffs on some idea, right? Or when they're suggesting something that might actually be illegal or unethical, but they don't know that. And so without accusing them of that, here's some ways you could actually, you know, play the flagger, which is one of the roles or the challenger. And so I think the book is going to be well received as a guide, even kind of how to structure the conversation and what to say and how to respond. And I hope it's received not, you know, um, patronizingly, but as a great tool. I also think it will be a good leadership book, a good parenting book, a good book on how to be a friend, a newlywed. Uh, and and <laughs> that it's, it's so interesting. You said something before about the there is a distinction between coaching and mentorship, and I wanted to talk to you more about that today because yeah. I, I obviously I agree, and the way you described it makes sense that 
a coach as a ICF certification, or they have some other training that's specific to these like raw coaching skills, yeah. call them like core competencies, right? Of a coach. But when I, when I was reading your book and I was looking through some of the skills, like, man, there's kind of a blurred line at, for me around, like there is a, a coaching element to being a good mentor and like looking at, I, I'm thinking of myself as a coach, cause I do coaching that. I will leverage some of this as a coach as well because it's it's really it's it's beneficial to think about when you're engaging in certain parts of that conversation, identifying these different roles. But even on the other side, as a mentor, it's like there are coaching moments too, right? So do you, do you see that there are there there are some like uh, overlap on either side? Probably more similarities than there are differences, but mm-hmm. because I'm asked this question so often, I wrote about it. I, I think the biggest uh, vacuum or chasm between the two is like what you just said. I don't know of a coach that hasn't probably been to some extensive training programs, why they built big businesses, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're taught a pedagogy, if you will, an architecture, a framework. They've gone through some rigorous training. I don't know of a single mentor I've ever met who's been trained as a mentor. It's why I, it's why I designed this self-paced certification program. It's light, it's easy, it's 26 short videos, some thoughts, some skill revisit. But I don't think most mentors go into mentorship having thought about it. They, they're tapped, they're asked, they're put into a, a bucket, and their name comes out, right? They're either volunteered or they're voluntold. <laughs> You're going to be a mentor now. And they just bring their natural leadership skills in. And there's an arc to mentorship. There's a self-awareness that needs to be present to know your rate, your tone, your bit, pit, pitch, your volume, your hand gestures, your eye contact, your title, your experience, your physical stature your business acumen, your vocabulary, all of these things can actually be lifting or diminishing to your mentor, depending upon how and when and where and why you choose to deploy them. So yeah, there are similarities to coaching and mentorship. I think the biggest, again, disconnect is mentors aren't trained by and large. Mm. And yeah, usually, usually it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's not part of your day job, right? It's something that you ask are asked to do and you somewhat begrudgingly agree to because you're busy, not because you're not willing or, you know, uh, abundant. But I think with a little bit of awareness from the book, anyone could become a mentor. I'm often, Chris, asked to describe reverse mentorship. And I say, yeah, that's not a thing. There's no such thing. It's called mentorship. Your age does not matter. I've got people in their 20s that are mentoring me every day about chat GPT and AI and, and how to get on Riverside and all kinds of things, right? <laughs> so, um, mentorship is mentorship. That makes sense. And I, I call that, uh, you mentioned before, like those, the opportunities to mentor that are asked of you. Uh, I, I call it being voluntold. <laughs> and you're voluntold to- true. I don't yeah. know anybody walking around town saying, anybody need a mentor? I'd like to mentor someone. I mean, maybe that's the case, but- that's never the case, right? The case is you've had some success or failure in life that somebody else finds valuable. And by the way, that's an important phrase. When I want to go figure out how to have a 40-year marriage, I don't go to the guy who's had a 40-year marriage. I go to the guy that's had four marriages. When I want to learn how to become a billionaire, I don't go to the guy who's a billionaire. I go to the gal who's had four bankruptcies because I can't I can't perfect or match 
the success of other people, their personality, their education, their patience. But what I can do is avoid all the mistakes they made, which is like 80% of success in life, just not repeating the same mistakes. So choose what your mentor the, carefully. What is uh, Keith Cunningham called? The dumb tax? <laughs> avoid it's the dumb so tax? true. So true. Just don't do the things other people did on their way to failure and you will figure the rest out. Well said. There's in in coaching, and then I'll, I'll I'll move on from that. But I think there's an interesting lens here. Like in coaching, you have this this um, reciprocating kind of coach first consultant thing going on sometimes, right? Where you're asking questions, you're drawing knowledge out as the coach, and then in most circumstances, traditional coaching would advise you not to play the role of consultant. That's you're not you're not intended to unless it's appropriate in the moment. In mentorship. Do you see it being similar or different when it comes to the opportunity to 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 you know ask the questions? And I can't remember the role off the top of my head that is uh, you're you're really being inquisitive and asking different questions the uh, against call, the, the questioner. questioner. That's yeah. I should have known that. That's easy. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> and bro. and then Sorry. the uh, and then like that consultant, right? Like where you're really pouring it in, and that kind yeah. of relationship between balancing both. Chris, you know this, right? It's situational. It all depends on the sophistication of your mentee and their maturity, their self-awareness, the level of business acumen they have, their knowledge of the world. I mean, they, they may decide and declare in the first session, I want to become a patent attorney. That's my lifelong goal. Okay, great. I love your clarity. Or someone may say, you know, I'm thinking of opening a flower shop or becoming an orthopedic surgeon. Okay, those have little in common. And so I think you're right. It's important to it's important to remind yourself as the mentor, your only goal, your only goal is to help your mentee identify and accomplish their goal, what it is they're setting out to accomplish. If someone comes onto the call or the meeting and says, I want to be a patent attorney, and in eight questions, they convince you this is all they've ever wanted to do and you are convinced as well, then your mentor sessions are all around. What is the path to doing that that works well for them? It might be about the LSAT. It might be about clerking in a law firm. It might be about going to the courthouse. It might be about picking a law school. I, I, you know, might be about maybe about poking them for other types of law. And if they keep shutting you down, then you know they're clear. Your goal as a mentor is to be very affirming, validating, of what it is they want to accomplish. And you're going to ask questions in a consultative fashion, in a broad, open-ended fashion, in a piercing fashion. But I, I have a lot of I have a lot of watchouts in the book because to the degree great mentors draw from leadership, my experience has been some of the best leaders ask piercing questions, right? They can get to the root cause and peel the onion in two or three questions. They would crush, name that tune, the the, you know, the TV game show from the 70s. And that isn't always the right style for a mentee. You may have someone who's 19 years old that, you know, doesn't even really know what the LSAT is or doesn't hasn't researched all of the best law schools that focus in patent law. They may be thinking about schools that are litigation schools. And so you just want to be thoughtful of your footprint, thoughtful of what kinds of questions you're asking. And as trust and rapport is built over time, then you can ask questions to say, Chris, have you researched that? Sounds like you're describing the GMAT, not the LSAT, right? Probably not the best question to ask in your first session. So it's all about self-awareness, intuition, empathy, some patience, 
and calibrate the style of question that you're asking with the situational need, maturity, sophistication, education, knowledge, clarity, or lack of clarity around their goal, right? <laughs> and, and you talked about the goal. And I, I want to circle back to that because it's so important and, and, and so many things. And there's a lot of alignment, of course, with the one thing, because that's, that's how we build all of our training, our systems around getting clarity on your goal. And in this, these conversations, you're saying as a mentor, that's established. What is the goal? Like, where, where, like, first of all, where are you right now? And where do you want to go? And that way, that can guide the conversation and the type of roles that you're going to play inside of that mentorship, if I'm understanding. Well, this is, of course, fundamental. And I don't think the mentor should be frustrated with someone's lack of a goal. You know, depending upon who you're matched with, the person may be in the same company of you and their goal is to get to the C-suite. Their goal is to earn their way onto the executive team. Their goal is to pivot out of the company in the next nine months. Their goal is to, you know, decide whether they want to get a JD or an MBA. And as a mentor, your job is to help them uncover, clarify, articulate, what is it they want to accomplish? They may come into it very clear. They may come to it very nebulous. But I think in the first couple of sessions, you should be pushing on them appropriately, firmly, or gently based on your assessment of their maturity and interpersonal skills and self-awareness and you know their ability to have a tough conversation and articulate a goal created by them, endorsed by them, designed by them, and then kind of confirmed by you. If, you know, if Chris said to me, you know, I really want to become the most successful porn producer in America. I'm going to say, Chris, that's not my bag. I'm not interested in helping you do that. I wish you well, I think. But unless you choose to change your goal, I'm not interested in that. Mm. Now, that's a courageous conversation that you should be comfortable having. Now, that was an extreme example. But my point is, you may not be interested in, in helping your mentee accomplish that goal. They may not know what they want. And so your first three or four sessions may be honing in their goal. I want to accomplish from X to Y by when, right? A goal structure. I want to be enrolled in a graduate program by next fall at one of these four universities with the intention to triple my income one year post-graduation. Wow, that's a goal I can get my hands around. I have lots of questions to ask you about that to make sure I know, is it like a Marquette kind of school? Is it sort of a Stetson kind of school? Is it USC? Do you have funding? Are you taking out loans? Why tripling? Why is tripling the goal? Why not doubling? Why not quintupling? And so I'd be asking lots of questions to understand their thoughtfulness behind designing their goal, not steering them away from it, just so I want to understand, why do you want to triple your income? Why is that important? Do you have a bill to pay? Do you have a, a financial net worth do you want to get to? Why is that important to you? What are your values? All these kinds of questions that can help me understand the why behind the what so I can help you better accomplish that as your mentor. Yeah, we, we find so often that when people end up significantly off track to a goal, call it six, say it's a goal for the year, just narrow it down to a year and they're six months in and they're off track by a noticeable amount, we find one of the root causes or one of the bigger ones, they didn't have the right clarity from the start. And so you're saying like, it's important as the mentor that you do that investment with them in those first three sessions and make sure they are, they do have the right clarity. Like why double it? Why is it not triple? Like get dig in there. What, what's really at the, the root of why you're picking this goal and make sure it's rooted strongly. Otherwise, when you start to go down the path, 
you're going you're gonna to fall off track because it wasn't solidified. I think the best goal-setting book ever written is The One Thing. I'm obsessed with that book. I think it's a phenomenal book to buy for your mentee. Buy the book, The One Thing, and walk through the goal-setting process. I don't remember the names exactly, but you know, sort of my someday goal, my five-year goal, my one-year goal, my one-month goal, my one-week goal. And then what, what is that um, goal setting to the now? Is that what it's called? You got it. Yeah, like, you got it. What am I going to do right now? Not an hour from now. Not. But I love, there's two pages in that book that are absolute gold. And it's the two pages that walk you through those six or seven or eight goals. It's absolute gold. I've, uh, I've read more books than anybody you know, because I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of authors. The one thing is the best goal-setting book ever published, regardless of what career or industry you're in. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. It's good. You got to put that that knowledge to practice, and it's frameworks like yours that that bring it to life. And so it's it's awesome. And well, I think my framework. This is not convenient, Chris. I'm going to interrupt you. My framework is really about how to have the conversations. The one thing book is about the goal. Because I can tell you how to talk about it, how to validate it, how to question it, how to push back on it, how to connect people to help you accomplish it. Mine is sort of the how. The one thing is the what. And and Mm. and if I was on a different podcast, I still would be talking about the one thing. I evangelize that book consistently across podcasts. Well, we appreciate it. Glad to reciprocate. Well-deserved. Let's talk about, so why is it so important to be intentional about or aware of what roles you're playing in the mentorship relationship? Yeah, because some of them you're good at, naturally. Some you think you're good at, but you're not as good as you think. Some of them you should be aware of. You're not that great and it's not your skill set, so you might want to avoid that. Maybe you do it too often. Maybe you do it too frequently, right? I mean, the the goals, the roles very clear, very quickly are the revealer, the boundary setter, the absorber, the questioner, the challenger. The validator, the navigator, the visionary, the flagger, the distiller, the activator, the connector, and the closer. You're not going to use all these roles at the same time, God forbid. You may not use half of these roles in your entire mentoring journey. I I used the word mastery earlier. I probably shouldn't have said that. The goal is not to become a master of all of these. It's to build your awareness of, okay, so does my mentee need for me right now to be the challenger or the validator? Have I set the boundaries up front on the things that I will and will not do for them during the course of the next nine months so I don't find myself in an awkward situation? When should I be the challenger versus the flagger? The flagger is kind of the challenger, kind of, you know, a little bit harder. Should I be the absorber, which is the listener, before I'm the questioner? There's no exact sequence. I just think the more knowledge you have about these, you could say as a mentor, you know, right now I just need to be patient. I need to stop challenging all of their thoughts, as crazy as I sound, and I just need to move into absorber role and listen. Reflect, recap, and then say, Chris, so I understand that you want to buy a floral franchise with nine locations and open them all in the first year of getting your MBA. Is that right? That's ambitious. Um, Hey, can we talk through what the upsides of that will be? And what some of the downsides will be as well, too, right? So right now, I've been absorbing unnaturally long and patient, and now I'm going to kind of gently ask some big, bold questions 
and the hope that Chris comes to his senses about how nonsensical this simultaneous plan is. Yeah, it makes sense. And that sounds exaggerated, but that's exactly how mentoring calls go. Yeah, I believe it. I've, I've had some of that experience myself. And you you are playing multiple roles at times, uh, very close to each other, sometimes simultaneously, right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, I think once someone reads the book, they're going to find a clear distinction in the roles. They're going to cl- find some ambiguity. They're going to find, well, this role feels kind of like that one. Take what's good for you. Leave what's not natural for you. My job was to, my job was to inculcate in mentors that I believe there are 13 roles. And your job is to have a broad enough understanding of knowing when to employ them, when to avoid them, when to dip in and when to dip out. Now, obviously, the revealer is the first role and the closer is the last role. In between those, they're pretty effervescent on when you would choose to employ them. I've written them kind of in a sequence, but really it's kind of a start anywhere, go everywhere. And you'll know when to use them based, again, on the situation with your mentee. Your mentee may have some, your mentee may simply be, you know, I'm wondering if I should pursue my father's legacy of taking over the plumbing business or stay at Oracle. Let's talk about it, right? Let's just talk about it. I might, I might actually flip right into the question role and say, hey, I've got 10 questions that I think could get to the root cause pretty quickly. Mind if I ask them? I may not do that with a 17-year-old. I might do that with a 37-year-old because I'm going to guess they have some you know, life experience and some setbacks and they can handle some tough questions and they probably thought through it. Yeah, it makes, and, and so the, it makes sense. So you're going to bookend with ideally with revealer and closer because as the revealer you're starting to discover and get clarity and and answer questions maybe clarify the goals we talked about and then you're going to kind of choose your own adventure based on like what you're seeing develop through the conversation over time and what's uncovered and then ideally play that closer role to make sure that they're set up for success moving forward it's the question i'm asked the most frequent and that is are these written in a sequence and I often say not, but can I tell you the more that I think about it, I, I kind of subconsciously put most of them in a sequence. I mean, there's a reason why the connector is roll 12. Can I share a short mm. story with you? Of course. I have a large university that has licensed this for about 1,200 of their undergraduate students that they've matched with 1,200 alumni as part of their mentoring program. And I was giving a keynote speech to a couple of dozen of their mentors that are on the alumni board of trustees a few weeks ago. And one of them came in and was a very senior C-suite officer from a Fortune 50 company. And he came in, nice guy, very seasoned, very successful guy in his late 60s. And he raised his hand. He was so excited amongst his 15 board of trustee peers to announce that just yesterday, he'd come from a speed dating mentorship initiative over at the student union, where he talked with nine students in an hour. Each of them got like, you know, eight minutes. And in this speed dating mentorship mentorship session, he had made all kinds of connections, like to his, you know, to his private equity friend, to a friend that owned a hotel, to his attorney. And he was so proud of all these connections he'd made, how, how, how abundant he was able to be. And I let him tell his story and I said, you know, I'm delighted you're so delighted. And without taking anything away from you, I would never do that. There is no situation in which I would ever connect 
a student, an undergraduate student I'd spent four or eight minutes with, with my hard earned Rolodex. Because next to my soul, my reputation is my most treasured asset. And I have spent 55 years building this network. And I like to think of myself as a connector. But if Chris Dixon asked me for introduction to Seth Godin today, I'm probably going to make it because I know Chris somewhat, somewhat. He doesn't get to host the One Thing podcast without having proven himself to the authors of that book and the founders of that firm. I've met him. I know him a little bit. But I'm not making a connection in, in four minutes or four hours for that matter. You have to earn your you have to earn yourself into a reputation of being trusted by me for me to make that connection. So this is why it's number 12 and not number two, because although it's an optional role, oh no, you have to earn your way into repeatedly making and keeping commitments before I'm gonna call up a friend of mine and say, Hey, I got a guy, a guy named Chris. I think you might be interested in learning about his business model. He's looking for investors because how Chris delivers is actually more a reflection on me than it even is on Chris. Mm. So it probably is a sequence more than I'm admitting. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that you're you're saying there's some taking some ownership through the mentorship process on their development, so that if you arrive at that place by connector. Or even by the time you're closing out as the closer, you're you're saying, "Hey, I've, I've I've invested myself in this, so it's a reflection of me." Well, which is why the boundary setter is the second role early up front. Good offenses make good neighbors. I think most of us naturally, if we don't avoid conflict, we don't enjoy conflict. But I think it's super important as the boundary setter to open up and say, "Hey, Chris." Hey, I'm so looking forward to our 12 mentoring sessions over the next year. Very excited. I've researched you. I've seen you on LinkedIn, heard great things about you. I'm enormously excited about listening to your goals. And to the extent I have any experience or wisdom, I'm elated to share it with you. Hey, Chris, I think it's important that you and I have like a four-minute uncomfortable conversation, like an awkward conversation. Stay tuned. In five minutes, it'll be less awkward, I promise. But I think it's vital that I share up front what some of my boundaries are so that you're not ever finding you or placing me in an awkward or uncomfortable ask. First, um, I'm not your ally, your champion, or your supporter. Second, I'm not your therapist. I'm not your private equity investor. Don't ask me to do things that I'm not comfortable doing. And I'm not willing to make connections in my network to you. There is so much I'm going to be willing to do for you, Chris. You're going to be overwhelmed. But those are three very clear boundaries I'm going to ask you not only not to cross, but don't come close to. Now, Chris, having said that, I'm going to guess you have some boundaries for me and I'm happy to hear them. Likely not off record, but as the mentee, I I also want to let let you, you get the point, right? I've now established, do not ask me for a loan. So don't ask me to give you a recommendation and don't ask me for a connection to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not happening. Now, I've set those boundaries high and firm and awkwardly hard up front. Now, I'm sitting back over the next 11 months and I'm watching everything Chris does. Is he on time? Is he focused? Is he organized? Does he make and keep promises? Does he honor those commitments? Because I might choose to lower those boundaries and say, hey, Chris, You know, I was in Sun Valley last week with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he loves to mentor people. And you're looking to become a producer in the motion picture business. Do you ever want to jump up to Sun Valley and 
have lunch with Arnold Mai. Now, I might choose to change that completely because now Chris has proven to me that I want to lend him my reputation. Set boundaries firm up front. Declare your intent. Say, hey, Chris, it's going to be awkward for three or four minutes. There's some things I need to share with you. And in five minutes from now, we'll be over it. But I want you to take some notes and write this down. You will be so glad you had that conversation up front because your mentor, mentee would not dare cross it. And if they did, you would say, hey, Chris, time out. You remember that awkward conversation five months ago? It's still there. Next topic. Now, yeah, you've, got to figure out, you've got to figure out how you deliver that message, right? It's all in your delivery. Say it with some frivolity and seriousness. Don't make it be your opening words the first five minutes of your session. You know, ease into that because you can still be clear and be kind. Absolutely. And so you're setting boundaries, you're you're putting these these kind of bumpers on the bowling lane for the conversation. Do you ever, do you think it's valuable to go into setting expectations around how they show up or how they'll engage in the mentorship? And and like, we do an activity sometimes called like how to win and lose with me and identifying like, hey, here's three ways or five, three to five ways that you could win with me. If you show up, you take ownership, you're, you know, you're on time and then you take the other lens and say, "Here's three to five ways you could lose with me and disengage me, and 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 you know we'll we'll end this particular mentorship." Or do you think there's value in that too? No, no value in that. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. That is so well said. I, there's no reason for me to comment. You just set it up. That's part of the boundary setter. Set mm-hmm. expectations clearly on what you expect, and ask them what they expect from you too. Right? It's not a one way street. It's a two way street. Because when I ask you. What you expect from me, you recognize that I value you. I value your journey. I value your expectations. How best would you like for me to communicate with you? I love that. How do you win with me and how do you, is it fail? Yeah, lose with me. Win and lose. Lose. I love that. It's great I fear my wife I, might be. I fear my wife <laughs> might be listening because she has a list of. Here's how the ways you're losing with me, Scott. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why you you put a limit to it. I three to five. <laughs> that's it. I like it. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting too. From the the perspective of the mentor, you should be vulnerable enough and open enough to receive that from the mentee too, right? And say, hey, I I'm giving you the the opportunity to tell me how do I win and lose with you? And it's good to have that dialogue and not feel that it's very one directional. Like I'm offering you my skills, wisdom, knowledge, and experience. So this is how it's going to be. And I, I love that you said that because delivery is everything. I might say, hey Chris, I want to take the next five or six minutes, each of us, and I'd like for us both to join an exercise. And both of our feedback has equal importance. In a moment, I'm going to share with you the three or four ways that you can win with me and the three or four ways you could lose with me. And then I'm going to ask you to share the same with me. So you might be thinking about what are some of the things that I could do to win with you and some of the things that you could lose with me? Because if I say to you, Chris, I'm going to share the ways you can win and lose with me, I already have you on the defensive. I'm thinking, oh, crap. Oh, yikes. Whoa. But if I've already told you that I'm going to ask it from you as well, I've established that, listen, I may have made more mistakes with you in life, and I may have had more wins than you in life, but I value you. I'm going to learn from you. There's things I'm going to take away from you as much as you're going to take away from me. And I've set us on a, on a level playing field in terms of 
how valuable we both are. Our self-worth is the same. And now I think I've made it less defensive, less awkward. I love that phrase. I'll credit you. Oh, but I'm using that. <laughs> well, it's it's like I said, it's reciprocal. <laughs> Take a lot on both sides. This this book's been great. Like I told you earlier, even in uh, mentorship I do and the coaching that I do, there's a lot I'm going to leverage from this. So thank you again. Great to hear. Mission accomplished. Yeah. So with we talked a lot about these circumstances where you're in more of a formal, I, I, that's not the right word, when you're in the, maybe you're voluntold or you're in a professional setting where mentorship is is set up and it's it's kind of structured. How important do you think it is to, if you're not in those environments, like seek out the opportunity to be a mentor and like give back or, or just offer that up if it's not being um, presented to you? Well, I think the answer to that lies in the values of the person. Not everyone wants to be a mentor, right? I mean, some people, some people may not find value in that. So it's all about whether that's in your value system. I make no judgment on that. There's no shortage of ways people can be a mentor outside of their employer or their company, right? There's countless alumni associations, not-for-profit communities, Kiwanis clubs, Rotary clubs, chambers of commerce, you know, there's, you know, state, local, county sponsored. There's an endless number of ways people could provide mentorship. Maybe there's a way too, if, if, you're just not even considering the, a relationship you're already in as an opportunity to be a mentor and using the skills that you present here to be better in that relationship. Yeah. I mean, do, you, do you see it yeah. that way? It's like, look, you, you maybe yes. you're not in a pre-prescribed kind of mentorship scenario, but you're not seeing that right in front of you is the opportunity to mentor someone that's, that's in your sphere. Yeah, beautifully said. Chris, how old are you? Uh, 39. You are wise beyond your years. Plus, you look a lot younger. Here's why I ask that is the types of questions you're asking show a level of wisdom and maturity that I think is found in mentors. I also think, to quote you, there are people that are mentoring others that don't realize they're mentoring them. They haven't formalized it. It wasn't named that. I also think, conversely, that a lot of leaders take on the role of mentor of their employed report. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not good. I, I think as you're looking for a mentor, which is usually the way it works, usually you've got someone on the hunt that needs mentorships, right? They're a problem searching for a solution versus a solution searching for a problem, to put it maybe awkwardly. I don't think it's always wise to ask your leader to be your mentor. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. I'd say to all the mentees, searching for a mentor, you should judge whether or not your rapport, your character, your competence, your results, all of that, as viewed by your leader, put them in the position to be a mentor with you simultaneous to being your leader. I think it's an awkward position to place your leader in. Because usually there's some level of dissonance between how they view you and how you view you and how you view how they view you. Most people think their leader would view them very differently than how their leader views them. There's lots of dissonance there. So I generally advise people, don't put the burden of your leader on them by asking them also to be their mentor. Yes, there are outliers, but usually I say steer clear of that. That makes perfect sense. But if you are in a leadership 
position or and if you're in a leadership position, you can have this as one of your hats and you can know when to potentially wear that and choose to. Like, you know, right now I'm going to be a mentor because it, it fits this particular problem. Or it's like, this is the, you know, I need a nine iron right now in my golf bag of, of leadership clubs. And this is, this is the nine iron is my mentorship club. Uh, but knowing that you have that, but when you need to put it back in the bag and or wear well, a different that. hat, it's like, hey, look, you, we, we need a management moment right now. This isn't a mentorship moment, but yeah, well you can choose that. Mm-hmm. Are you a golfer? I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I should say I, I attempt to play golf. I don't know what defines the distinction. Hey, I, I, I attempt to husband. I attempt to parent. I attempt to write books. Everything in my life is an attempt. Yeah, I feel that. Scott, man, thank you so much for for being on the podcast today. I, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. And if if the listeners want to check out your book or check out your courses, find you on social, all that stuff, where can they connect with you? Chris, thank you for asking. And thank you for a great interview. I'm a I'm a big supporter of you personally and professionally and of the One Thing podcast. And like I mentioned, the book. Uh, the book is called The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship, releases July 11th in soft cover print, audio, and digital. You can buy it on every bookstore, both online and bricks and mortar. The website is called greatmentorship.com, where you can go with there's lots of complimentary videos and tools on it. You can look at purchasing a mentorship kit, which has a journal and a quick reference card deck. And there also is a self-paced online video-based certification program in case you want to become certified as a great mentor. There's that there as well. And you can follow me on every social platform. Fortunately or unfortunately, I'm on them all actively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With the intent of leveraging them for other people's benefit and their development, not your own addiction to them, right? <laughs> well, gr- great. Let's go with that. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. I sure hope so. Thanks, Scott. If, if you could have our, our listeners just take away one thing from the podcast today, what would you have them take away? Well, you're always a mentee. And you're always a mentor. Consciously or subconsciously. And always have that frame of mind. You're doing both. You are both. And recognize that. And so go thank those mentors that have poured into you. Thank the mentees that have also taught you things that they may not be aware of. And always have that mindset that you are both mentoring and being a mentee simultaneously with people. Awesome. Scott, third time on the podcast. Third time's a charm. Thanks for being here. I hope we have more of these in the future. And uh, everybody go check out The Ultimate Guide to Great Mentorship coming out July 11th. Scott, thanks again, man. It's been great talking to you. Chris, my pleasure. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on -on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.